This morning's scripture reading is going to be out of the book of Exodus. We are in Exodus chapter 13, and we'll be starting with verse 17. That's again in your Bibles, Exodus 13, verse 17, and you're welcome to follow on the screen behind me. I'm going to take a little liberty. Before I start, I want to just encourage you with this. This God that we're going to be reading about, sometimes, even in my own heart, I sometimes, when I read the Old Testament, I picture God as being different back then, but this is the same God that we're reading about this morning that is inside of each of you if you're his. This is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead, the same God who is with us this morning, so I want to encourage you with that. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and in the sea. In front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will save of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die here in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness." And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord 
when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. This has been the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. We're taking a pause from the Gospel of John this week to consider some things as a church today. Uh, We're having a family meeting after the service today, primarily to discuss uh, the state of our our finances. And uh, frankly, just to I think it's pretty obvious. You don't have an unscheduled meeting to talk about finances if, you know, you just have money rolling out of everywhere and you don't know what to do with it. Like, there's, that's not the reason that you have uh, an unscheduled member meeting. But before we get to talk about the numbers after church today, I just want to take some time in God's Word to, to, to frame what we th- as elders believe is going on here. And if, if you're a guest with us today... Um, I want to relieve you of some tension right now. This sermon and uh, even the meetings afternoon is not a plea for you to give us your money. In fact, even though the, the principles that we're going to talk about here relate to our finances, they don't only relate. It doesn't only relate to our finances. It, it goes much further than that. What we're talking about today is how God leads his people. How does God lead his, his people? And specifically, what we're talking about is how God uses circumstances and challenges, tight places. You know what I'm talking about? Tight places. Things that look like traps. How God uses those things in order to lead his people where he wants us to go and to give himself glory. And, and this is applicable in all areas of a Christian's life. It's, it's applicable, applicable as we as believers, as we as elders believe, to, to where we are as a church, and it's applicable to all of us in our personal lives as well. And, and once you begin to see how the Lord uses this principle to lead his people, it can help you know how to interpret the things that happen to you. And it can help you know how to respond to God in those tight places, in those things that feel like traps. So if you have your Bible or your app open today to the, the passage, I hope you will open it to the passage and, and keep it open as we proceed, because we're going to kind of refer back and forth to it. And, and, and I want you to, to, to really see in the text what God is doing with the Hebrews as he's leading them out of Egypt. You may want to, if you're a note taker, you can keep some notes and make some references in there along the way. What we're told in the New Testament very clearly is that this story, the story of the the Hebrew children being freed from Egypt and being led through the Red Sea and then through the wilderness and then into the promised land, that that story, the Exodus story, is written for our benefit. What that means is there are lessons in here for us as believers. So I want, what I want to, to give you today is a foundation that I think will be valuable to you in difficult times. How does God lead his people? And the first thing I want us to see here is that the Lord does lead his people. The Lord does lead his people. Look at the first part of our text. And as we do, what we're going to do is we're going to take note of all the ways that God is leading, God is leading his people. So let's start in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, listen to this, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. God led the people out of Egypt, and he specifically led them a particular route. The way to the Philistines was by far the shortest way. And in fact, it wasn't only the shortest way. It was the only way from Egypt to the promised land. 
but he did not lead them by the only way, the shortest way, from Egypt to the promised land. Although that was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Hear that? God led the people around by the way of the wilderness. He led them toward the Red Sea. He led them toward the place that they were going to be trapped in. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, hear this, God will surely visit you. God himself will visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from there. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And hear this, verse 21, and who went before them? The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud, pillar pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Look at this first thing. The Lord leads his people. These aren't some random people that the Lord has brought out of Egypt. God describes the Hebrews, the Jews, as his people. They belong to him. This is our language that he uses throughout the Old Testament. They belong to him. What we see here is because of that, because they are God's people and they belong to him. You know what he does? He takes responsibility for them. He has tied himself to them by a covenant. This is how the whole Exodus event began to happen in verse 7 of chapter 3 in Exodus. It says, the Lord said I have, to Moses, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people. I've seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Because, of, because they were his people, the Lord had heard their cry. And that is the same, yet even greater for those of us who are Christians. If you are a believer, you who were once were not a people are now God's people. Do you hear that? That's from 1 Peter. You who were once were not a people, but yet now you are God's people. We have been made children of God heirs of the Lord. We've been made to be partakers of the divine nature. We have been purchased. You have been purchased if you're a believer, redeemed or bought back with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. We are, if you're a believer, we are members of the new covenant family of God. A covenant that's been enacted not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord himself. We are his people. And because we are his people, he takes full responsibility for us. He is tied to us by not just a covenant, but by his covenant love towards us. He doesn't and he won't leave us to ourselves. He takes full responsibility. If you are a believer in Christ, he takes full responsibility of you. The God of heaven 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of creation, he takes full responsibility of you and he will lead you. He will not leave you to yourself. You are not alone. You are not wandering aimlessly. I need to hear that this morning. I need to hear that regularly because sometimes it feels like I'm just kind of wandering around kind of aimlessly. It feels like I'm trying to figure things out and I don't know how to get from here to there. It seems like whenever I, I look around, it seems like I'm just, just, I don't know where I'm going or where I've come from and how to get to where I need to be. And it can feel lonely and I can feel alone. But here's the truth. If I am bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, he has committed himself to me, he has committed himself to you, he takes full responsibility for you, you are his child by his covenant love, and he says, I will lead you, you are not alone, you will not wander aimlessly. The same God who went before the Hebrews in the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night is the same God who calls you son or calls you daughter. He will not leave you alone. He will lead you, and he is leading you. But how are we supposed to think about him, and how are we supposed to think about ourselves and our path when we don't see him, when we don't see him leading us, when we don't see how he's leading us, when everything around us seems to say that he's not leading us, because things seem to keep getting worse, things get tighter. Well, see, this is such an encouraging story because even though they had the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, yet still the Israelites, even though they could see it, they still doubted because when they looked around them, everything seemed to say, he has left us alone. Either that pillar thing is fake, Moses is fake, and we've just been led into a trap, or he doesn't care. And isn't that what we think about God oftentimes? Because it seemed to them that either God or Moses didn't know what they were doing. Though there was one short way into the promised land, and he led them the, not only the other way, but he led them into a trap with a sea before, impassable, Pihirath and Belzephon on either side, the heights that hemmed them in on either side, and now behind them, the pillar of cloud moved behind them to lock them in, and then Pharaoh and his army came up behind them to lock them in. Let's very quickly look at the ways, very quickly, the ways the Lord leads his people. The Lord leads his people through his word. This is something that we have that the Israelites didn't have. Moses himself represented God to the people. He heard God speak, and then he would go to the people and tell them what God had said. He, he ended up writing the first five books of the Bible, but before that, you had to be within earshot of Moses to hear what he had to say. And only then, he could only repeat what he had heard God say. But God has given us his written word. It is a gift to everyone. Even those who can't read it can hear it. The simplest person, the smallest child, those who are sick or infirmed, they can hear God's word and they can follow his commands. They can claim his promises as their own and stand upon his infallible, all-powerful, fully trustworthy word. 
Psalm 2711, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. His word guides us and leads us. But not only that, God leads us through his providence. Providence is the word that we use to describe how God orders events secretly by his own will. We can't understand it. We can't understand how he orders all events in the world. We can't understand how he does it, why he does it, why he allows certain things and doesn't allow others. Some, some people, God's providence can be scary to think that God is ordering events. Why did he allow that? Why did he didn't allow that? I don't know, but here's what I know. To those who are his people, to those that are his people, that he's pledged himself, that he's redeemed by his blood, that he calls sons and daughters, to those that are his people, it is a huge comfort. It's the pillow we lay our head down at night. To this extent, in Proverbs it says, the lot are like the dice that are being cast right now in Vegas, is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Ephesians 1.11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, listen to this, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here's what we can know as believers. I don't know what he's doing, why he's doing, or how he's doing it, but here's what I know. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been told by God that I am his son. I have been told that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. And here's what I know. I don't know what is going on, why it's going on, or how he's doing it, but I know here's what he's doing. He's working all things under the counsel of his will, and I am his son and daughter, and he will lead me where he wants me to go, and he will guard me along the way, and nothing can touch me apart from his hand. And even if death, if sickness, if, po- if poverty come to me, you know what it means? None of those take me out of his hand. What has happened to you? None of those things have taken you out of his hand. What's happened to you right now? Nothing is taking you out of his hand. What do you fear about tomorrow? Nothing can take you out of his hands. What, what, what do you mourn and look back and think, this terrible thing happened to me in my past? You know what? I don't know why, but here's what I know. He will not let it take you out of his hand, and he will take you to the end. And here's what is another truth. The Lord not only leads us by his providence and his word, but he leads us personally. He leads us personally. I want you to camp on this truth because I have, I have built my life on this, and that is this. The Lord does not lead his people from afar. He isn't some chess master who's moving pieces around, gets removed from the board himself. Did you notice in the passage, the Lord was personally involved. He was personally present. He says, these are Old Testament promises. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not be in dread, do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Two verses later, it says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not 
fear or be dismayed. In Joshua 1.5, he said, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You say, all right, those were promises to different people. It may not apply to us, but those promises have new power and weight whenever Jesus shows up. This is what he said in John 14.16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit, the third person that God had, not some angel, not some servant, not some pastor, because I'm going to tell you what, I will leave you, I will forsake you, I will let you down. But here's what he said, I'm not sending a helper, I'm not sending even an angel, the third person, the Godhead himself will come with you and he will be with you forever, he says, forever. He said this in Hebrews 13, 5, the preacher said that keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he said, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, behold, I am with you always. Till it gets hard, till you get to the edge of the waters, I will be with you always. How long? Until the end of the age. Until it's all wrapped up. And you know what that means? He'll be with us then, and then we'll be with him personally and present forever throughout all of eternity. He says, I will never leave you. If I have bought you with my price, if I put my blood upon you, I will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. Ever. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, him sending his promised spirit to us means that God is forever present with us. He's forever present with his people. And not only that, he's not just with his people, but he's within his people. For you, if you are a believer in Christ, his spirit dwells in you. You are the temple, a walking temple of the Holy Spirit. He is with you and within you in a more personal and intimate way than he was before. He's not just hanging out. You said, man, I'd love to have the cloud of fire by, by night and the cloud of the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. I'd love to have that. But you know what's better? That God who is in the cloud is in you. It's way better. Believer, the Lord himself is leading you. But then... We see as long as he leading us, the Lord often leads his people into tight places. Look at the beginning of chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihirath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Where, where did God lead them? He led them right into a trap, or at least what looked like a trap. The sea in front, the heights on either side. And not only that, he says this, for Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? The Lord. And I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. 
And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed for the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? Why have we let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. The Lord put it in Pharaoh's heart so that the Egyptians would not only come up behind them, but would pursue them and overtook them in camp at the sea by Pihirath in front of Baal-Zephon. What's your Red Sea? What's your Pihirath? What's your Baal-Zephon? When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. This is not like prayer, like, oh, look, God, come and move. This is, the, the wording there is oh, the whining of a child. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, this is really the crux of what we want to see this morning. Just because the Lord leads his people does not mean that things are going to be easy. In fact, the Lord purposely often leads his people into tight places, into places that actually look like traps. The lives of his people, whenever he's leading them, can look harder, can look riskier, can look more precarious, more dangerous than they did before. And if we aren't convinced, personally convinced, that God is personally leading us, then we, in that moment, can misinterpret, just like the Hebrews did, places and the situations that he places us in. And what happens is then we are in that situation. God, I've been following you, and the money is actually drying up. God, I've been following you. I've been wanting to keep myself pure, and God, you know more than anything, I want to be married, and yet I know fewer people. I've had fewer dates in the past year than I've ever had before. God, you know I'm trying to trust you, but things are getting harder and harder. Things are getting tighter and tighter. In that situation, and we look around, and we can read them as traps instead of opportunities to see God's power and deliverance. I will harden. Hear what God was doing. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory. Did he mean harm for for the Jews? He says, I will trap you so that I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Did the Lord trap the Israelites? In a way, absolutely. There's really no question. Moses here looks like a terrible tactical leader, and his people are complaining about it. But here's what we're told. It was clearly God who led them into the situation. They knew that. They saw the pillar lead them. They'd seen God's might in Egypt that led them out. But the circumstances, their fear, their uncomfortableness, all spoke louder to them. 
Here's what Peter N. said in his, his commentary on Exodus. They, that's the, Egypt, the Israelites, still have not learned that their circumstances are not the final standard on which to view the work of God. And we do that. We think my circumstances, how things are hard for me right now, my circumstances are the final standard on which to view the work of God. When God says, I'm doing a big work here. I'm leading you in such a way, I mean good for you. You are my people. I'm leading you personally. I will not leave you or forsake you. I am with you and I'm within you. I am leading you. I will not forsake you. I have a purpose ahead. Will you trust me? What's speaking to you louder right now? Your circumstances? Or who God says he is to you? What's speaking louder to you right now? The sea in front of you, Pihirath and Belzephon on either side, the Egyptians behind, or the fact that God said, I created the heavens and the earth, and you are my child. We can read them as God, we can read, we can look at the circumstances around us and see, read God's intentions as uncaring instead of the protection of our loving Father. They cried out. They feared greatly. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? What have you done to us? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Is God uncaring when he leads us into tight places? When God leads us into places that we're filled with fear? When all the circumstances around us say, you're going down. It's over. It's not only going to be like this forever, it's going to be worse. Now, stuff about God loving you, he made it all up. About a year and a half ago, we began to pray more and to seek God as a church. Last year, we, we determined that we want to be an awakened people sent by God to awaken others. We've been praying for revival and renewal in our midst. We prayed for a more permanent building so we can better fulfill our mission. And what's happened? The Red Sea, Pihirath, Belzephon, the Egyptians coming up behind us, are giving, in, in all our praying, you know what's resulted? Our, our giving has actually gone down. I'm cheating ahead what's, what they're Elder elders are going to tell you. We've been running in the red. And instead of building up money and resources so we can make a, a push for a building, we're burning through our savings. How are we supposed to think about that? Has God forsaken us? Would it be better to be back in the days when we weren't praying as much and we were resting on our laurels, resting on our own strength as a congregation? What about you in your life? Have you been seeking God? Have you been trying to follow him? Have you been trying to trust him, but things in certain areas have seemed to only get worse, to get harder, to get tighter, to get more confusing? What could be going on?
Should you go back to Egypt? That's the constant, clarity, the constant call in our heads. Come back. It's better back here. It's easier back here. You didn't have to trust back here. That's what it sounds like. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. The Lord has a plan. I'll say it again. The Lord has a plan when he leads his people into tight places. I want to sing. If I could sing, I would sing that over you this morning. The Lord has a plan when he leads you into tight places. This is what he says in verse 13 of chapter 14. And Moses said to the people, fear not. This isn't like, like, it's actually a correction. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of who? Who provides the salvation? Their generals? Moses? Another army to come in and help them maybe? Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will what? He will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel, just go forward. I, if I tell you to go to the promised land and there's a sea lying in front of you, don't stop and whine. Go forward. Don't stop and camp and wonder and call a council and build some committees and try to figure out, like, let, let's take the depths of the sea and let's figure out how we could build some boats. And uh, maybe we should talk to, you know, stall with Pharaoh and see if we can uh, make, a, make a treaty with him or something Maybe we could build a, a way, go a way around or over Pihirath or Belzephon. He says, don't call committees. Don't sit still. If I put an ocean in front of you, if I put a sea in front of you, and I told you to walk forward, walk forward and see me be the salvation for you. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. The people of Israel may go through the sea on, on dry ground. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. The Lord leads us into tight places and places that feel like traps to fulfill his promises and his plans. He had made a promise to Abraham and to Moses that he was going to lead his people to the promised land, and he was going to fulfill it. He was working a plan. Here's the question, what could he be doing in our midst? The Lord leads us into tight places to build our faith and our faithfulness. You really see this in this text. The Lord could have led them on a much shorter path to the promised land, but he knew they weren't ready for battle yet. They would have turned back. So he wanted, take, he wanted to take them into their first battle, one that he would fight for them. And this will become a key moment in the, their history and their identity as a nation and a people. He was going to build their faith 
and their faithfulness to him, but it had to come when the pressure, when the pressure couldn't push them in a different situation. They couldn't go to the left, they couldn't go to the right, they couldn't go behind, they couldn't go forward without him, so all they could do is trust him. They were hemmed in. The sea, the heights, the Egyptians, they were trapped, they were stopped up, and the only choice was to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Could that be what God is doing in our midst right now? We're going to talk about church finances today after the service. We're going to talk about giving. We know that it's people that give, right? But here's what we're not doing today. We aren't saying that people are our hope. The Lord has led us. He is with us. He has hemmed us in. And what we're saying is he alone is our hope. He alone is our deliverer. He has brought us here. We don't know what to do to fix the problem. There's nothing much that we can do. And because of that, he, because I don't have a, a major rich uncle somewhere to give a call to. Because of that, you know, he, who, who gets the glory when he comes through? God alone. How many of you need to see God show up in a hopeless situation? How many of you need to see God come through in a tight situation? That's how he sets things up. It's what he does. Think about Abraham. God told Abraham, leave this land that you've always known and go to the land that I will show you one day. When he had Isaac, the son of the promise, he said, take Isaac and sacrifice him on top of the mountain. It took to the point where Abraham raised up the knife before God delivered and provided a way. Think about Joseph. God said, I, God gave him dreams, you're going to be a ruler, and yet now he's, not only is he sold into slavery by his brothers, but he's wrongfully accused in Potiphar's house, and he ends up in the dungeons in jail for years. A tight place. Think about Moses in this space. Think about David. God said, you're going to be king over Israel. He tells he starts to get out, and the father of his best friend, who happens to be the heir to the throne, pursues him to try to kill him. Solomon built the temple as God had directed. They built up the altar in front, and nobody brought any matches or a lighter to light it on fire. God had to show up and show fire from heaven upon that altar, or they were going to look pretty silly. Elijah did the same thing. He built an altar before the prophets of Baal and said, you guys call down fire, and if your God comes through, then I will serve him. If my God comes through, then my God is God. And not only did he do that, he doused the thing 12 times with water. God had to come through with fire from heaven. God told him to say, there's rain coming. And he said, there's rain. It hadn't rained forever. He said, there's rain coming. He kept looking at the horizon. Maybe is it coming? Is it coming? Is it coming? But he put himself in a position, a tight place where God had to come through. The apostles, he said, go into the, all the world and preach the gospel, which sounds amazingly beautiful right now, but it seemed pretty stupid to a small group of uneducated, poor fishermen. They were shut up in the upper room, scared of what might happen. God had to come through. 
multiple times over and over again in the history of the Apostle Paul, God had to come through. He's being, he's being, uh, he's thrown into prison wrongfully with Barnabas in the cell of the Philippian jail where no sunlight was. He's stuck under there. What's going to happen? God had to come through. He's led outside of his city to be stoned. They actually stone him. What's going to happen? God has to come through. Church history is replete with stories where God leads his people into tight places, into places that look like traps, but God has to come through. The story is over and over again. People follow God. God leads in such a way that only he can come through. He does. History has changed. People are one to him, and generations are affected. The Lord leads us into tight places to glorify his name. to glorify his name before his people, that they would see the salvation of the Lord. To glorify his name among their descendants so you can tell the story over and over and over again of how God delivered us. And to glorify his name among those who are outside. To show I alone am the Lord your God. So how should we respond? How do you need to respond today? Maybe you're in a tight place. Maybe you've been following the Lord and it seems like you're trapped and hemmed in. I'll say this. If you're a believer in Christ, the Lord is with you and he is leading you and he will deliver you. I don't know what that deliverance will look like, but he will deliver you. And I'll say this. For us as a church, I know the Lord is leading us. I know he will deliver us. Let's stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. For his glory, for our joy. Let's not shrink back. I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in worship. We're going to do things a little bit different this morning. The communion service will come up towards the end of that song, because the Docs of Kids will be releasing back into the room. We'll have communion after that song. They'll come forward, and then Dale will come up after that and lead us in communion. Whenever you do come forward, there'll be two stations, one on either side. Come forward from the outside, receive the the bread and the juice, return back to your seat, and just hold it there, sit on the seat or whatever, and then uh, Dale will come up and lead us in communion together. Lord, we thank you that you alone are God that you are with us, that you have given us precious promises, that you will not back down, that you will not turn away from us, that you are fully trustworthy. Lord, we thank you that you lead us in such a way that we learn to trust you more and more. We learn to trust you in spite of what the circumstances say. Father, I pray that you would help us in our weakness. Help us to be faithful when we are actually everything in our Hearts and minds cry out, be faithless. God, help us to trust you, to follow you. Lord, I know that you're with us. Lord, what we do do pray, show us that you're with us. And lead our church and lead us individually in such ways as we grow in faith that you glorify your name. For your glory and for our joy. Amen.